Amen. Amen. Good morning. And um, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And here's the reality, though. I know that we're so thankful whether you're here, whether this is your first time here, whether you're here again for many, many times, you are family here. And uh, we're so thankful that you are here. But Mother's Day is happy, but Mother's Day can also be really hard. It can be challenging. It can be complicated. It can be full of a lot of joy and a lot of grief. And as we continue on today in worship, I just want to spend a little bit more time in prayer um, to lift all of us up today in that area. So if you would, just join me in prayer right now. Uh, Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for the grace that you have given all of us, God, with the promise of your gospel and the truth. And God, we thank you for all the the moms represented in this room and watching online. We thank you for the grandmothers. We thank you for the spiritual mothers, the adopted mothers. God, for the, the sacrifices they make and um, God, just the joy that they bring, the love that they share unconditional. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and renew them through the each and every day. God, whether their children are young, whether they are in their teens or whether they are adults, um, God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and endurance, God, and just continue to remind them of how valued and valuable they are to you and to each one of us. God, for those of us um, in this room and watching online that are yearning to be a mother but have not yet had that opportunity, and God, I just pray that you would strengthen them. God, that you would provide endurance, that you would comfort them, that you would draw near. And God, that you would just point them um, to the reality of, of your love for them. And God, just continue to guide them and lead them, God, today and every day. God, for those that have lost a loved one, a mom, a grandmother, or whether they owe a child, God, this past year, recently or beyond, I pray that you would, in the grief, God, today, in the memories, God, that you would just comfort, God, that you would wrap your arms with grace around them, that you would just draw near to the brokenhearted, God, that you would encourage and exhort, God, and that you would continue to just to lavish your gospel presence, God, in every way. God, for those um, parents and or children that have broken relationships either with their child or with their mom or dad, God, I pray that you would work today in a way that, that brings about a step towards restoration and reconciliation. Father, I pray that you would move and that you would break through. That's what your gospel does and that's what, who you are. God, I pray that you would just give wisdom and provide comfort. God, I pray that you provide hope. God, I pray that you would continue to, to move in a way in each one of our hearts that allow us the reality of who we are in you, God, to drive who we are through you. God, that we would reflect your grace, that we would reflect your truth, that we would reflect your love. Father, for everyone in this room that has the opportunity to be a spiritual mother, God, and I just pray that you would strengthen the, each and every relationship that you allow us to encounter, whether it be in, at the, in a school setting or in a neighborhood, God, whether it be in, a, in church or wherever, God, you have allowed unique relationships to enter into our lives with the intent, reality, with the intention and reality, God, and the privilege we have to disciple others. God, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. I pray that you would give supernatural wisdom and grace. God, we're so thankful for who you are. And we're so thankful for the love that we have in you. In your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I just want whoever, however you walked in this room or are joining us online, I want you to know how loved you are, how cherished you are, how, how God sees you and how we see you. And for any lady that is here, uh, we have a gift for you on the way out. Um, we have a flower for you. And I just want you to know just how loved you are today and, and every day. We're going to continue our sermon series in the book of 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament. If you have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to turn there with me now. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3. If you need a copy of God's Word, we have extra for you on the back. We'd love for you to take that with you, uh, read it, uh, take it as yours. Um, and if you want to use your, 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 your phone, you're welcome to do that as well. 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's the ninth book of the Bible from the left to the right. Um, and we will get there. So question for you guys. Uh, I did some crowd... Uh, sourcing, if you would, this week, and ask folks, what's the best advice you've ever received about parenting? Real advice. And by best, I mean funniest. 
So I asked some friends, and, and not all of them made the cut or are appropriate for church this morning. Um, but here's some, a portion of some of the sample of responses I got that were either uh, in, in a variety of ways. And here's the first part of advice. If your child says that they're going to throw up, don't try to call their bluff. Because everybody ends up messy. <laughs> the second piece, once your child is born, go to the Walmart or wherever and buy 20-year supply of poster board because that'll save you countless 10 p.m. trips. And here's one from a pediatrician, real story, true story. Don't listen to your mother-in-law. I'm the doctor. She isn't. <laughs> anyway, uh, parenting is hard, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing, but it's hard. It's somewhere between herding cats and swimming upstream in a monsoon. It's amazing. It's rewarding. It is sanctifying, and it is revealing. It's revealing of our own hearts, right? Our own need for God as we continue with the Heart of the Matter series. Man, parenting is one of those things that exposes us in a variety of ways. At its core, a parenting is about discipleship and it's about stewardship. By stewardship, I mean the reality that we don't own our kids, although sometimes we act like it, don't we? The reality is our kids are first and foremost gods that he chooses to steward with us, allows us to steward them for however long he would and gives us the challenge and gives us a commission to raise them in the way that he would have because they're his kids, they're not really our kids, but how often we get that mixed up and confused. We get to disciple little image bearers of God. Every single person across the world, no matter where you were born geographically, no matter what race you are, no matter what language you speak, is an image bearer of the one true God. Praise God for that. And each, every single person is a gift. Designed, Psalm 139 says, and created exactly how God would have you in your mother's womb. Praise God. Today, at the end of this service, we're going to have the opportunity to dedicate a child to the Lord. And it doesn't, within that reality is there a parental responsibility, but it's not just with the parents. It's not just some of us. It's all of us that have a responsibility to disciple and to steward and raise kids. Biological parents, adopted parents, spiritual parents. By spiritual parents, I mean people that we have that influence us that pour out and teach us and point us to Jesus, whether they be Harvest Kids workers or Harvest Students workers, whether they be coaches or teachers, trainers or neighbors. Can I tell you, some of the most important lessons I've learned about God, and I have amazing parents, came from my basketball coach, my youth workers. And so as you, if you serve and harvest kids or harvest students, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Not even as a pastor, yes, as a pastor, but first and foremost as a dad of four children whom you pour your heart and soul into and pour into Jesus, because it surely takes a village, doesn't it? Thank you very much. This is what it means when we talk about here at Harvest, one mission, one church, one family, that we're all invested and we're all vested in discipling people of all ages. Today in the text, we're going to see the importance and the impact of raising kids the right way. And spoiler alert, raising kids the right way means raising kids God's way. Whether it's biological raising, whether it's spiritual, we're going to see examples of both today. We're also going to see the consequences, the calamity, and the tragedy when we choose not to do it God's way. But by the grace of God in our text, we're not just going to see an exhortation of how to parent, but we're going to see a roadmap. We're going to see a roadmap of how to parent the right way, of how to parent God's way as the text is going to lead us on this trip, because parenting is a journey, and it's never done, right? The kids are out of your house, but they still come back and eat you out of house and home, right? They still Venmo you and say, hey, can I have some money? They still ask for advice. They still call. They still text. I still ask my dad for tax wisdom because I can't remember every day. But by the grace of God, we're going to see that this journey leads us to the cross, where we are strengthened by the cross, because gospel-centered parenting is what we're after, but you can't have gospel-centered parenting without God-centered parenting. We need the strength of the cross to, to disciple our kids in the way of the cross. Proverbs, Solomon says this in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 6, what a promise, what an encouragement to train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a promise. We all come from different places, and I realize that reality. We're all different, and some of us are waiting to be parents. Some of us are longing to be parents. Some of us have been parents, and we have little ones. Some of us have teenagers. Some of us have kid, uh, parents that are adults and are out of the house, have their own kids. And, but all of us have the opportunity. All of us have the opportunity to be spiritual parents if we aren't biological parents yet. 
I also under, understand the reality that this is a sensitive topic, that there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of stuff that come into this topic in all aspects in different ways. And so however you are, wherever you are, I'm so glad you're here. And our heart is not to tell you how, how to do you, right? How to parent. Because the reality is, is what we're going to do, though, our heart is to teach our biblical principles that drive our pragmatic and our practical. Because every home is different. Every two husband and wife parent differently. Every context is different. And that's okay. So this is not a do one plus one and it will equal two. It's teaching us biblical principles that you are to apply, that we can all apply in our individual lives. Because how we apply it when our kids are Two years old is probably different than when they're 12 years old. It's different than when they're 20 years old. But the consistency is, is God's way through and through. Here's a big idea for this today. Raising kids the right way means discipling kids God's way. Raising kids the right way means discipling kids God's way. This is not about being a perfect parent. Newsflash, none of us in this room are perfect parents and none of us ever will be, Amen. This is about pointing our children and everyone that we have the opportunity to influence to the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. That's our heart and that's our hope because left to my own, I'm gonna fail. Parenting is a beautiful, bumpy journey, really a roller coaster, right? Full of ups, downs, all arounds. And praise God, we don't have to walk that journey alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the beautiful reality of the gospel and how it impacts every aspect of our life, every relationship that we have, husband and wife, parent and kid, a friend to friend, and so on and so forth. God, in the next few moments that we have together, I pray that you would silence me and that you would flow. I, I, I come into today as a father yearning to learn how to grow in my parenting. God, I need you. We all need you. God, we're desperate for you. We come in here hoping and hurting. We come in here limping and longing. But no matter how we walk in here, you will meet us here. However we are, God, you are, you are sovereign here. And I ask that you would speak in this topic, in this area that is so pertinent to every single one of us in this room. Father, I pray that you would meet, that you would draw near to the brokenhearted, that you would comfort right now in this moment. I pray that you would exhort us. I pray that you would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in of what a privilege we have to steward your children, to raise and to disciple image bearers of you. Father, help us to take that responsibility and that opportunity seriously. Give us your strength. Lead us into your truth, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. So to set the tone, we're going to see a man but that we've already met a little bit before. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 2 and 3 today, a man by the name of Eli. We're going to see a dichotomy here. What I mean by that is we're going to see Eli do some really, really good stuff in his parenting, but that comes from his spiritual parenting where he's actually parenting someone who's not his biological son, Samuel. We're going to see him fail. We're going to see him fail in a big way of his own two biological sons, and we're going to see a vast dichotomy and so whether you feel like you're a failure as a parent or a great success, we all have room to grow as a parent. And can I tell you that this is not a, a time for guilt. So this is a time for grace. It's a time for growth. But it's also a time to commit because no relationships outside of Jesus and maybe outside of the spousal relationship is as important as you have with your children in terms of how to parent them to become more and more like Jesus. And again, the principles drive the pragmatic. And and we, I, we have four kids, Ann and I do. They're all different. They're all wired differently. So we need to take biblical principles and apply it, yes, consistently, but a little bit differently to each one of them. And can I tell you this little secret? My mother would always tell me I'm the oldest of three growing up. She's like, Dan, I love you. I love you. I love you. But my prayer for you is that you have a child just like you one day when you grow up. And, and now she tells me, God answered that prayer. And I, I'll give you, you can figure out for your own which one of our kids she's talking about, Okay. His name start, might start with E and end with Than. Um, 
<laughs> All right. Three keys to raising kids right. And by keys, I mean this. On a roadmap, you have a key. It's a guide to help you interpret the map. It's a guide to help you get from place to place. We're on a journey as parents. We're on a journey as spiritual parents. So what are the keys that we're looking for to see if we're on the right path on this journey? And can I tell you that it is never too late for a U-turn. It is never too late for a pit stop. And some of us need a pit stop. We need to be refueled on our journey of parenting. I know I do. We need to recalculate our direction. Maybe we need to take a U-turn. God's, that's awesome. That's totally acceptable. That's totally profitable. And that's why we have a family. That's why we're doing this together. The first key to raising kids right is this, is to deal with sin directly. To deal with sin directly. You see it on your notes. You'll see it on the screen. Setting up this text today before we begin to read is this. Remember that over the last couple of weeks we've learned and we've seen 1 Samuel is the establishment of the people of Israel, the family of, of God into a nation of God. We're going to see a continual transition into a monarchy. We, we've met the, one of the main characters initially, Hannah, who's the wife of Elkanah, who was barren. She couldn't have kids. So if, if you're struggling with infertility again today, I just want you to know our heart goes out to you. God loves you, and Hannah can very much relate with you. It doesn't have to be the end. Hannah traveled from the hill country to the temple with her family. They went about once a year to offer it, make sacrifices and offer. She bore her heart out to God and in pain to God, and she just brought it to God. And God, she promised and ded- to dedicate a son if God were to give her a son to full-time service of the Lord in the temple. In, in the tent of meeting and God, she worshiped, she experienced peace and then God, as she did that, uh, answered her prayer and Samuel was born and Hannah dedicated him to the Lord. After three years, she brought him, after she had weaned him, she brought him back to the temple and she left him there to stay, to be raised by Eli, the priest. We, see, we saw last week her heart as she prayed her psalm and sang her psalm in a heart of worship. And again, the name Samuel means the Lord hears. We pick up the story right now in chapter 2, verse 12. If you would, look with me if you would. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that they, when any man offered sacrifices, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle of, uh, or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the, piece would ta- the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw And the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Ouch. So here the story begins. We're in the the temple, the tent of meeting. We're in Shiloh where the house of the Lord was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the presence of God was. And isn't it amazing that the sons of the priests of God did not have a relationship with God themselves. Verse 12, Scripture describes them as worthless. That really means godless. That means they lived a sinful life. And can I tell you that it was egregiously sinful. The text later is going to describe what they were doing as blasphemy. As we see in verse 12 through 17, we see this reality. Yes, Mosaic law said that the priests should be able to be supported by portions of the sacrifice by, from the food that is brought. But not these portions. If you want to do a deeper dive, there are, there are portions of Leviticus and Deuteronomy you can read about the customs. We don't have time for that today. But just know that, yes, part of these uh, sacrifices were given to the priests to support their families, but not these portions. They were taking the fat portions, which are supposed to be offered to the Lord, the sweet, the one that provided the flavor. They were taking the best for themselves. They were stealing from God. Ouch. And even the normal worshiper right here realized that. And they're like, are you sure you're supposed to be doing this? I don't think so. And they said, yes. And I'm, if you don't give it to me, I will take it by 
force. And this wasn't the only thing that they were doing. Hop down to verse 22. It says, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they were stealing, they were fornicating, they were bad men. Can I tell you this? That sin has consequences. It has grave consequences. This was a significant spiritual abuse of power, an abuse of people all under the nose of their father, Eli. What's a big warning for me personally, for all of us, what's a big warning for us parentally as parents is this, that the reality of you can spend your entire life in church, in the house of the Lord, and not have a personal relationship with the Lord, and in fact, be a great sinner unrepentantly and blatantly before the Lord. It is not just about being in church, it's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not about religion, it's about a relationship when we talk about discipling our our kids. Yes, it's important to bring them to church, and we're going to talk about that, but it's even more important to bring them to Christ. It's scary, and you could have a position in church leadership. These sons of Eli did. Significant poor position, but still be far from God and not knowing the Lord, verse 12. You can be a small group leader and not have a personal relationship with the Lord. Play it on out. You could be a kids leader, a students leader. You could be on the worship team. You could be a deacon. You could even be an elder. You could be a pastor. It's about the posture of your heart and and not as much the position on your resume. God knows your heart. He's after your heart and he will deal with it accordingly. Friends today, what's your heart when it comes to God? What's your relationship status? Coming to church doesn't equal coming to Christ. I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you to continue to come, but I, more than that, I want you to come to Christ. It's not neither or, it's a both and. Come to Christ and come to church. But did you, if you make the mistake of thinking that just because you come to church, you come to Christ, that ain't true. You need to choose. And we see in this text, uh, as it continues down in verse 22, 23, we'll hop back to some of the previous verses in a little bit. Eli is very old and his, his sons were fornicating with the women there in and, and verse 23 and Eli tried to call him out. He tried to rebuke him. He said, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Ouch. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So can I tell you that this, verse 26, gives me hope that even in the midst of of debauchery, even in the midst of really horrible circumstances, God can still raise up faithful people. Our circumstances are not an excuse for not following Christ. And I don't know what your family of origin circumstances are like or what your home life is and or was. And if it was really hard, really painful, really sinful, I'm really sorry. But what this text is teaching us, verse 26 teaches, it doesn't have to define you because God still wants to deliver you and you still have a choice. You have an opportunity to choose God, to grow in God, even when others around you are sinning and setting a horrible example for you. You might be going, well, Eli did his best, right? He's off the hook. His sons just aren't listening to him. Well, not so much. We're not going to read every verse for time's sake, but as you go down now through 20, starting in verse 27 through 36, we see that a prophet comes to visit Eli. In verse 29, Eli is a descendant of Aaron. He's in the, the Levitical uh, tribe. He's a prophet. Uh, he's a priest. And look at what the prophet says to Eli in verse 29 of chapter 2. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings? This is God through the prophet to Eli the priest. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people 
Israel. Therefore, the Lord said, God of Israel, I promise that your house and your house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, I will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Ouch. Sin is consequences. Basically, what is happening here is the Lord is stripping the priesthood out of the line of Eli. Sin has devastating consequences. He, he goes down to verse 34 and he says, and this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They shall be assigned to you. What's the sign, you might ask? Both of them shall die, be put to death on the same day. Ouch. God doesn't mess around. Especially when it comes to his glory, his fame, and his offering. Are you messing around in that way today? What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It's living irreverently before God and disobediently to God's word. All of our sin requires a death penalty. Praise God that Jesus paid that price for our sins, amen? He's our intermediary. And this text points to Jesus. If you actually go back up to verse 26 in that description of Samuel, it is eerily similar to Luke 2.52 in the description of Jesus. Now, Samuel is not Jesus, but he is one who points to Jesus as the ultimate intermediary, as the ultimate prophet, as the ultimate one who would make sacrifice, the final sacrifice for our sin, because our sin requires a perfect sacrifice that we cannot pay. Eli spent a lot of time pointing other people to Jesus. We saw that with Hannah in chapter one, but he did not point his own sons to Jesus Christ. May that be a lesson to all of us that we cannot sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry, nor shall we sacrifice our ministry on the family of altar, on the altar of family. Eli's not off the hook. In fact, he's very much on it. We're gonna find that out next chapter in a minute, but we see it right here in 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded you? And why do you honor? It's a heart issue. Why do you honor your sons above me? Eli is honoring. He is exalting. He is worshiping his own sons above the Savior, above God. Are you? Am I? Yes, we cannot control the decisions that some of our, our, kids, our kids make or anybody else makes. But we, have, we can raise them in the best manner that we can. We can provide an environment for them that they would know the Lord. And apparently Eli is very much failing in that regard. What this text teaches us is that a key to raising our kids right is to deal with our sin directly. But here's the reality, that the first person's sin that we need to deal with when it comes to parenting God's way is not our kids, it's our own. It's our own. The kids will bless you, won't they? They will challenge you and they will expose you. They will expose the rawest part of your heart Why did, I ang Why did I yell at my kid? It's my kid's fault because they did X. No, you yelled at your kid. I yell at my kid because I have anger in my own heart. Does that mean what they did was right? Not necessarily. But it doesn't excuse or rationalize my behavior. I need to own my own stuff. Nothing comes out of me that isn't already in me. I need to deal with sin, my sin, directly first before dealing with my kid's sin directly. Parenting is God's great tool of refining and sanctifying. Parenting is, is first about the vertical. It's about our own parental relationship. What? Which one you ask? Well, the one with God, our heavenly father, and us personally. And then it flows horizontally to us and our own kids. You see, God loves us in our mess. He forgives us. And as we realize that, then that it should empower us to live a grace-filled life as we parent our own children. God is our heavenly father. We are his children. And I tell you, I need God's grace daily because I mess up and I need God's forgiveness daily. Don't, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you live a more perfect life than I do. But by God's grace, he gives it joyfully. It doesn't mean that there is an absence of consequences for my sinful actions, but there is an always presence of God and his loving forgiveness in my life. Praise God for that, amen. So raising kids the right way requires anchoring myself in God's grace daily, every day. You ever watched that, or maybe some of you are gonna laugh at me, that old show or heard of that old show, at least Father Knows Best, right? When it comes to parenting, Father Knows Best, our Heavenly Father, right? He knows best. 
We need to lean into that. God's grace is his unmerited favor. It's getting something we don't deserve. We are a recipient of it, and then we are called to be a conduit of it. We receive it because we need it, and then it should flow through us to all those around us, first and foremost, those in our own household. I love how Dave Harvey, a friend, a pastor, and author, says it this way, grace is, is, is an event and a process. There is saving grace, and then there's sanctifying grace. By grace, we have been saved, and by grace, I am more refined each and every day into the image of God. Praise God. Parenting is much more about heart transformation than behavior modification, and we need our own hearts transformed. It's realizing my own sin problem and and God's grace solution, repenting and then running to God. Biblical parenting recognizes the reality that we are stewards and not owners of our kids in gospel-centered, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, biblical-based parenting, which is what I pray for in and I pray for and my prayer, our prayers for the church is that we would all desire that. It needs to be anchored in the realities of the gospel. It begins with personal repentance before rules and regulations. Confession of my own sins before consequences for my kids' sins. Clinging to God's unconditional grace and and his faithfulness. And can I tell you how faithful God is? Look with me if you would at chapter three, verse 35. After he tells Eli, after he tells Eli that his two kids will die, 35, and God's promise, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he will go on in and out before my anointed forever. Isn't that awesome? Our God is faithful. God fulfills his promises. When we sin, God's faithfulness continues. We might be the ones who miss out on the blessing. So how do we know if we're doing okay? How do we know if we're on the right track on this journey of parenting? Here is a heart checkup, almost if you would a pit stop. If Think about it. If we're pulling over to get some air in our tires, top off our fuel so we can continue around the laps, let's check our, let's check our fluid level or check our gospel centrality in our parenting. Here are three questions from this text that I think are really helpful. They were convicting of it for me this week. First one is this, who am I truly glorifying? This text says this, you honor your sons above me. You glorify your sons above me, Eli. You're a priest, yet you're worshiping your own kids above me. Friends, how are we doing in that aspect? We should have no other gods above the one true God. This can be blatant, it can be subtle. Who's on the throne of your hearts? The most important part to raising our kids right is getting my own heart right with God, to getting that priority, that order right, that God has the first place. We are called to love our kids and lay down our lives for our kids, but they should never and can never actually replace God. But how many of us subtly are letting that happen? I can't go to church. I got my kids' travel game. They have to do this. They have to do this. They have to do this. And all of a sudden, what are you really elevating above God? I can't tithe because my kids' activities, my kids' activities, my kids' activities, my kids' activities. Um, Look, we want your kids to have the best, but the best is God. My schedule is so tight that I can never go to church or small group or whatever because my kids this, my kids that, my kids this. Again, what's coming first? And again, this is the practice. The, the principle drives the pragmatic. This is different in every one of our homes. I get that. The details are different. I get that. Every, and we're all going to make different choices, and we need to respect the differences that we each choose to make. But my question for each of us is, in our choices, is God coming first? Or are our kids coming first? When you really boil it down. Second question, am I giving to God what is God's? Verse 29, verse 17, the charge against Eli was that he allowed his sons to fatten. He participated by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering. The offering that was supposed to go to God went to them. Are you giving to God what is God's? What is God's? Everything, right? My kids are God's. No, you can't go on that mission trip. Why? Well, I don't really want you to. Well, why? Yes, some safety protocol. Yes, but is it really that or is it fear? Is it fear of letting go? Are you teaching your kids how to tithe? Off the top, best. Are you giving your financial best to God first and modeling it for your kids? 
your time, your talent? Are you modeling that? Giving God your best, encouraging, teaching, coaching, training your kids to do that. Are you investing more in crypto or Christ? Kids mimic what they see. Secondly, whose voice am I, thirdly, whose voice am I listening to the most? Samuel had a lot of voices in his ears. He was hearing a lot of things, and we hear a lot of things in this world, but was he really hearing God? Apparently not clearly. Friends, this world will teach you and and try to convince you to do this or to do that for your kids, so you need to go anchor in the truth, right? The world is ever-changing. God's truth is absolute. Where are you anchoring your, your, your truth? And if there are areas of this where you need to repent of, I would encourage you to do that. And then readjust, reprioritize as we deal with our own sin directly because we see Eli's sin getting dealt with directly and severely. God is holy. He will not compromise. He is full of grace, but he's also full of holiness and justice. We also need to deal with our kids' sin directly. True reverence for God is evidenced by faithful obedience, first in my own hearts and then in our families. We are called to shepherd our kids' hearts. Don't just try to modify their behavior. Stop yelling! Well, get to the heart of the issue. In our parenting, we are called to reflect the grace of God and model the gospel of God. As we remember our own need for God on a daily basis, we will be better equipped to share God's grace with our kids, the students that we teach, the athletes that we coach more freely and joyfully. God's grace is the not-so-secret sauce to successful parenting. It holds it all together, right? That's what, like a Big Mac, right? All these different parts of your life. But it's that sauce that knits it all together, the binding agent. We want to come alongside you and equip you. Here are two books that I found really helpful in my own life that I want to encourage you with if you want some sort of, it's actually written by two different brothers, the Tripp brothers. Uh, One is Shepherding Your Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. The other one is Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by Paul Tripp. Ted Tripp says this in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, all behavior is linked to attitudes of the heart. Therefore, discipline must address attitudes of the heart. The reality is discipline is actually should be viewed as discipleship. They come from the same root word. The heart of discipleship is restoration. So our goal in parenting should be guiding our kids to be, have a restored and unbroken relationship with our one true God. That's discipleship. It's not just like, you hurt me, here's your consequence should have a goal to grow in righteousness. Hebrews 12, the author lays that out perfectly in Hebrews 12, three through 17. I would encourage you to read that. When it talks about parenting and the goal of parenting and the product of discipline. So how do we deal with our kids' sin directly? We do it lovingly, honestly, biblically. There's no shortcuts on the journey here, right? Here's a couple of principles. Have a heart of discipleship. Before you go and deal with your kids' sin, check your heart. Don't parent out of anger. There have been many times where my gracious wife has been, hey, you seem a little frustrated. Why don't you take a break before you go talk to your kids? Praise God for that. And that's that tag team aspect of parenting. Is my heart to really disciple my kids or am I just so frustrated that I, 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 I need to let them have it? Or maybe I'm really frustrated with my work day, but I'm bringing it home and my kids are gonna get the brunt of it. Secondly, pursue their hearts. Pursue the kids' hearts. Again, we're after heart level, not just behavior level. Get to know your kids individually. What makes them tick? Some of our kids will talk and talk, at least our four talk and talk. Some of them, man, it's like you have to really learn how to draw their heart out because they're not prone to talk or to share. They're no cookie-cutter parenting. Again, we're after their hearts. Ask good questions. Try to diagnose not just the fruit of what's happening, the action, but what's the heart level? You, you yelled, what's going on? What are you frustrated about? Something happened at school today? Did somebody say something? Are you, you embarrassed? Are you, are you nervous about you didn't do so well on a test and sharing that? Like, what is really driving this? Calmly state consequences and why. This isn't about we're not gonna have consequences. That's not grace. Read Hebrews 12. God disciplines those he loves. Why? Because it produces the fruit of righteousness for those who allow themselves to be trained under it. We want our kids to be righteous. God wants us to be righteous. So there are consequences to actions. 
Here's why. Because I love you. Nothing I you do will ever make me stop loving you. But I want you to be more like Jesus and you need to learn this lesson. Discipline with compassion, but make hard decisions. Don't fear your kids' reactions. Be faithful to gospel truth. Again, all different families have different contexts and different applications and different discipline systems, and that's great, and that's, we respect that and honor that, but at its core, are you driving after discipleship? Are you embracing that? Discipleship takes the village, and it's a privilege. Point people to the cross. You want a beautiful vision of parenting? Read the prodigal son, right? Luke 15. He did a lot of bad things that prodigal son did, but when he came back, he didn't think he was gonna be accepted by his father. His father ran out and said the first words, I want you to know I still love you. He wasn't like, how dare you do this? How dare you do that? You're welcome here. I'm sure they had a conversation later, but he, left, he lavished his love around them. Forgiveness, repentance, grace. When we mess up as parents, ask our kids for forgiveness. Model that process to them. Confess your sins to God and even to your kids when you sin against them. The greatest disciple-making responsibility we have, and this is our mission here at Harvest, that God has given us is not around the world, but it's around our dinner tables. Whether they're biological kids or spiritual kids, it takes a village. Raising kids the right way means discipling kids God's way. The second key on the map is this. Second key to raising kids the right way is model walking with God personally. Look with me back at chapter two, verses 18 through 21. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Samuel's about 12 years old right now. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. So his mom got to see him once a year. That was a sacrifice she made. When she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. They have five more children. God is faithful. God provides when we step out in faith for him. Now, it has been said, you've probably heard this before, that what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say, right, as parents? One of the most powerful indicators of spiritual impact kids have is the life that you and I model as parents. Hannah is modeling, Elkanah is modeling what it looks like to be a godly parent by offering their children to the Lord, by by continuing to come back to worship, by loving them. The linen ephod was just a, a ceremonial garment that was made. And parents, when you take your walk with the Lord seriously, it has an amazing impact on your kids. Did you know that statistics say that when a child is the first one in the home to come to the Lord, that there is a 3.5% probability that the rest of the household follows? When mom comes to know the Lord first in the household, there's a 17% probability that the rest of the household follows. And men, I need you to hear this, that when the dad actually embraces his faith and comes to the Lord, there is a 93% chance that the rest of the household follows. Men, we need to step up you have an incredible opportunity for impact when you take your faith seriously. I remember a baptism we had here not a few weeks ago where somebody was being baptized and his two eight and 10 year old kids were sitting on the front row, eyes as big as saucers, watching dad declare his faith in the Lord. And I can't tell you the incredible impact that had on their life. And that story is just getting started. We're all disciple makers. The question is, what are we discipling them to be? Hannah had surrendered Samuel to God and Samuel watched his parents worship. God continued to bless Hannah and Elkanah. You can't disciple to be someone into something you're not. A disciple is an apprentice. I can't teach anybody to be a carpenter because I can't cut a straight line, okay? It would damage my kids, literally, if I tried. (laughs) Some of you guys are great at that. Praise God. But you can't disciple them to be like Jesus if you're not personally walking with Jesus. The best way to disciple our kids biologically and spiritually is to lead them into the presence of God. The spiritual growth that was happening in Samuel's life in this text comes through two things, the presence of God and the word of God. The presence of God and the word of God. As parents, are you leading your children into the presence of God? Now, as believers, when they come to know the Lord, they get the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in them, but are you leading them into the church? Are you prioritizing coming to church? Are you prioritizing going to small groups? and investing in small group? Are you prioritizing giving? Are you prioritizing going on a mission trip? Are you prioritizing reading God's word and sharing with your children what you're learning? 
and helping them read and reading it together? Are you prioritizing praying with them? Are you prioritizing worship? When you sit and worship men and women as your kids are nearby, do they hear you sing the words loudly and passionately and confidently in whatever way God has wired you to do so that they too will want to be enthusiastic? They see you cheer at the, at the football game. They see you cheer at the Journey concert. Why aren't, you cheer? Why aren't we joyful when we worship Jesus, right? They will mimic it. They will model it. They will follow it. Will you do it? And friends, you have an incredible opportunity to, whether they're biological or not, impact those around you. As you read the New Testament, you see this beautiful relationship between Paul and Timothy, right? They weren't biologically related, but Paul calls Timothy my true child in the faith in 1 Timothy 1 and my beloved child in 2 Timothy 1. He mentored Timothy, and Timothy allowed himself to be invested and discipled by Paul. Can I ask you this, friends? Who is the Paul in your life? Who is a spiritual father or mother in your life? Do you have one? If not, will you seek one out? Who is a Timothy in your life? Who are you modeling what it looks like to faithfully worship the Lord? Especially, even if they're not biologically related. Do you have someone you're discipling, mentoring, pouring into, like Paul did to Timothy? If not, I challenge you to seek one out. If you want somebody to disciple you, mentor you, approach them. Don't wait for them to come to you. This isn't optional. Titus 2 teaches us that mature men and women, older men and women, it's not talking age, although that has a fact that it's talking about life experience, it's talking about spiritual maturity, are called to invest in younger women and less mature men in the faith. Men, are you today investing in people that are less spiritually mature? We call this discipling. Women, are you discipling in people, investing in people that are less spiritually mature than you? It is not optional as a believer. It is God's calling and teaching for how the family of God is meant to be operated. Raising kids the right way means discipling kids God's way. Who will you disciple? And finally, the third key is this. Disciple them to follow the God's faithfully. Disciple them to follow God faithfully. That's the third key to discipling kids God's way and raising them the right way. Disciple making means this. Here's a working definition. We talk a lot about discipling and disciple making. This is helpful. It means entering into relationships intentionally to help people put their faith in Christ fully to grow in Christ continually and to follow Christ obediently and live on mission for Christ faithfully. Look with me if you would at chapter three. Now the young man, he was about 12, with Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Can I tell you, if you want a vision for your life, if you want a vision for your family, it will not happen accurately without the word of God being present. Without the word, it's hard to see clearly about where you are to go. Are you anchoring the vision that you have for your family's life on the word of God or not? So what does it look like to follow God faithfully in an environment filled with difficulty? Samuel's environment was difficulty. Phineas and Hophni were running around like crazy people doing all sorts of not good stuff, put it lightly. But here we see this. At the time, Eli, verse two, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see was lying down. Because the first aspect of following God faithfully is to hear God correctly. Hear God correctly. He was lying down. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. What that means is they lit a lamp from sundown to sun up. So it was the early hours of the morning. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called to Samuel. He said, here I am. And he ran to Eli. He thought Eli was talking to him. Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and he laid down. And the Lord said again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli. And he said, here I am. For you called me, but he did not. I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him. So Samuel did not yet at this moment, although he will in a minute, have a personal relationship with the Lord. And verse eight, and the Lord called Samuel again, third time, and he arose and he went to Eli, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and laid down in his place. So here Sam, Eli with his spiritual son Samuel is doing actually a really good job discipling him, teaching him, hearing from the Lord, discerning what was going on and pointing him to God and saying, this is how you are to respond to God. What an opportunity we have with the spiritual sons and daughters in our lives to do the same thing. So the first way to follow God faithfully is to hear God correctly. Samuel couldn't hear God correctly initially because he wasn't, his ears wasn't trained. He didn't recognize that reality. Are you hearing God correctly? 
God is calling you today, I promise you. Are you listening? Are you hearing? He's calling you into a relationship with himself and, or he's calling you back again and he's, he's leading you and giving you information about certain decisions you need to make. There's a lot of noise in the world, but are you hearing God accurately? We need to turn, tune out and turn down the noise of the world. We need to get our scripture, can, scripture uh, earphones in, if you would, noise canceling to the world that can focus us on God's word to hear him correctly. As we get wisdom from more mature believers around us, Eli disciples him. What are to hear that. Sometimes we, we can't hear God's voice correctly because we're inexperienced. Samuel was inexperienced here. Sometimes we can't hear God's voice correctly because we have improper expectations. Like Samuel wasn't expecting God to talk to him. You might not be expecting God to reach out to you. He is. He's calling. Maybe it's your pride or your sin or stubbornness or distractions or fear. I don't know what it is distracting you, but are you listening for the word of the, the, word of the Lord today? Because that's the second aspect of how we faithfully follow God today is to listen to God reverently. So Samuel, Samuel was instructed by Eli, here's how you are to respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Your servant is listening. So he does that in verse 10. And the Lord came and he stood out and calling several times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. The, Eli was teaching in, from Samuel to understand the, the proper response to the Lord, Yahweh, with, is with reverence. Yahweh means he's God, I'm not than actually being quiet and listening to what the Lord would say. My grandmother would always say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Friends, what's your talking to God ratio versus your listening to God ratio today? Listening with reverence actually means being ready and willing to respond with complete and immediate obedience. It also means being silent before the Lord and allowing him to speak. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is involuntary. You hear the lawnmower outside. You can't stop it, right? You hear the ice cream truck. You hear the guy snoring next to you on the men's retreat. None of you guys would ever do that. But just because you hear something doesn't mean you retain it. Listening actually means you retain it and then you act on it. Listening is something consciously, is consciously choosing to do. It requires intention and concentrated fo- concentration followed by action. Listening is submitting my life under God's. The good life is not asking God to do my will, it's submitting my will to do God's will. Where in your life do you need to listen to God today? What aspects of your life? Be hearers of the word, not just doers. Thirdly, it leads to this. The third area of following God faithfully is trusting God personally. In verse 10, we see Samuel make that decision. He says, speak for your servant hears. In this moment, Samuel is giving his heart to the Lord He's saying, I am your servant. You are my Lord. He enters into a personal relationship with the Lord and everything changes. Samuel is converted by God and commissioned by God in the same moment. Do you know God? Is he your personal savior? Have you responded in that way? His parents knew the Lord. He was raised in the house of the Lord, but now he had to make a personal decision to follow the Lord. Have you done that? Have you challenged or asked your kids that? Don't just assume that they're gonna know the Lord personally. But like Eli, teach them, train them for how to respond to the Lord, which is speak for your servant is listening. Fourth, he obeys God's word completely. I love verse 11, I love verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. You see, he was complicit because his sons were blaspheming against God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of his house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering ever. But I want you to hear verse 11 where it says, in the middle of the debauchery, in the middle of the sin, here's the hope. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel. Isn't that awesome? I'm about to do a thing. I'm about to do a thing. You haven't seen it yet. You might not believe it yet, but I'm about to do a thing. And friends, in your family, God wants to do a thing. In this church, God wants to do a thing. In this community, God wants to do a thing. Amen? Behold, see it. Trust it. But for God to do a thing, the first aspect of that is he begins to clean us and purify us and lead us to this season of repentance that relationship that is broken in your family, God wants to do a thing. But will you come clean about it? Will you get right with God in it? And as much as it's up to you, live at peace with others in it, in your community, in your family, God wants to do a thing. 
But will you trust him reverently and follow out obediently? Because the calling is now. Because Samuel in verse 15 lay until morning when he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision of Eli. Samuel has a choice to make. Am I going to obey what God said and speak truthfully? Or am I going to back off because of what it would mean to Eli? And Samuel makes the choice. Because that's the fifth and final thing is speak God's word lovingly. How do I live faithfully? Disciple, I teach them to speak God's word lovingly. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Who are you afraid to speak God's love and word to in your life? Samuel gets that. But Eli called on Samuel, and here's, his, here's another good aspect of his discipleship. He says, Samuel, my son, again, spiritual parenting, spiritual sonship, spiritual father, not biological, but spiritual, but look at the impact. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? God, do not hide it from me. May God do to you so much more also if you hide from me anything that he told you. He said, he's discipling him to speak the word of God truthfully and lovingly filled with grace. Don't hold it back. We need to, as following God faithfully requires speaking the word of God truthfully, lovingly, because that is what is best for everyone around us. Graciously, not just with a hammer, but with grace, with truth, with gentleness, with a heart that wants what's best for the other person and what's best for the other person is always God's best. Where do you need to speak God's truth in that way today? So Samuel shared with him and and Samuel's, Eli's response was, let it be, and he said, it is the Lord, Let let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, Verse 19, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Samuel grew in the presence of God and through the word of God. And as we seek to parent and disciple, we need to disciple our kids in the pres- to the presence of God and in the word of God. That's at the heart of this text. That's, that's really what we need to do. So friends, as you look at this roadmap of raising kids right, I don't know how you would do your, how you would evaluate where you are. And again, this roadmap leads to the cross. It doesn't mean that we are perfect or that you are perfect parents. You're not gonna be, give yourself grace. But the question is, are you pursuing that? Are you pursuing God's best? Are you pursuing discipleship? Or far too often, are you taking the fat of this life and investing it in yourself as opposed to giving it to the Lord? The best portions, are they going to you or are they going to God? Are you trusting the Lord or not? So in this moment, as you think about it, how are, what sins in your life do you need to deal with directly? How in your life can you model following Christ more faithfully? Where can you grow and sharpen in discipling your kids more continually? God has an amazing plan. He wants to do a thing in your family, but it starts with you making the conscious decision to follow God first, personally, and then leading your family to the Lord faithfully. Will you do that? Will you close your eyes with me? In the next 30 seconds, the heartbeat of this text in chapter three is this. It says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He's hearing, and that means you want to act. I would ask this. I would ask you to go to the Lord right now and just ask him, God, what do you want me to hear about how I am to best love those around me and how I am to best point them to you? What area of my life do I need to confess? What area, what truth do I need to cling to? What decisions do I need to make? What truth do I need to speak? So as Amy continues to play, will you just ask God that and genuinely get your heart to the place where you genuinely want to respond and obey in whatever way he says. He might ask you to surrender your life to him for the first time. He might ask you to reprioritize some certain things. He might ask you to confess some areas. He might ask you to make some different decisions. I don't know. But God's best for you is what is best for your family. So right now, will you ask, God, what do you want me to hear? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening.
Father, in these moments, we are just, I'm just so humbled by the grace that you give us, by the reality of how far too often I listen to the noise of this world, or maybe I have forsaken the priority of you and honored other things in this world before you, taken from myself what truly was yours. And God, in these moments, I, we just confess. We confess our need for you and our desire for you, God. We, we just need you and we love you, God. Thank you for your love for us, your grace for us as you parent us, as you lead us to the cross and give us the strength, God, to parent others whether they be biological children or whether they be spiritual children. Help us to disciple and help us to prioritize and help us to focus, God, on the joy of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, and that, the, that freedom comes through you in the gospel. God, in the hope and the heart that we have in the gospel and the dichotomy here that we see of the drastic consequences of our sin, but also the deliverance and the faithfulness of our God and the Savior that you sent us in Jesus Christ. God, help us to not forsake your presence or your word, but help us to recenter our lives on being in your presence, God, and being in your word, to be directed by your word, to treat it reverently and live it out obediently each and every day as we seek to follow you. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.